live from beyond the Beltway, this is Eric Cohn, filling in for Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by conservative John G. Akaris, liberal Pat Whalen, and political science professor Charles Lipson. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base, AM560 The Answer, WIND Radio in beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Our phone lines are now open at 1-800-723-8289. That is 1-800-723-8289 if you want to be a part of the program with us this evening. I want to thank everybody for joining us uh, this evening. A whole lot to talk about, but uh, we're going to start at the place that you're probably assuming we're going to start. It is, uh, at least at the beginning of this program, going to be all balloon all the time. Uh, it started last Saturday, January 28th, when a Chinese surveillance balloon was first detected over U.S. airspace in Alaska. Uh, over the course of most of the next week, it made its way across uh, northern United States until finally on Thursday... Uh, excuse me, on, uh, was it on Thursday? It was on Friday when um, the balloon, Saturday, the balloon was shot down. Saturday, I can't even remember what day. It's all blurs together in my mind. I don't even know what day it finally happened. It was at 2.39 p.m., an F-22 flying at 58,000 feet, uh, shot a single AIM 9X Sidewinder air-to-air missile that took the balloon down, uh, which was flying at an altitude of about 60 to 65,000 feet. Uh, a lot of consternation over this story with the balloon. And uh, I want to start first by going to you, Pat, uh, and asking the question, um, are you pleased that Joe, Joe Biden has finally declared war on inflation? Oh, you Boom. beat me to it. <laughs> uh, Eric, you undercut me. Oh, my God. I was so ready. <laughs> Yeah, he told you he'd bring in. I was feeling down. it. I was just, I was feeling that that's where you were going to go, okay. and I had to get the joke in there first. So you, but, but you know me well. Well, I, I just want to say, in all seriousness, I'm glad that he could clear enough room in the Jewish space laser schedule uh, <laughs> to get this thing <laughs> taken down because it, it needed to happen. No, um, yeah. you know, a, a lot of the flack is that he he took too long, um, but. Everything that I'm seeing, and I guess even the Gang of Eight hasn't been briefed. Like, there's there's a lot of intelligence that hasn't seen the light of day, even for Congress people. But my understanding is that we were able to watch them watching us, and, and we could glean enough intelligence and let this thing float over intercontinental missile sites in Montana, uh, all the way out over the water. Uh, they're also saying the debris field is seven miles long. Again, I don't know if they haven't been briefed, it, how we know that that's the case, but... Safety was an issue. The thing was like three times the size of a bus, I guess. And, um, oh, Eric, I'm hurt. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is a large <laughs> balloon. And I, I mean, I find it interesting that this is the, uh, the form of surveillance that is being flown over the United States, that we're using balloon technology, that we've can gone I, back to balloon technology. Can yeah, I say one, one more thing real quick? And this might, I, I'm interested to hear what uh, John and others might think. Um, Blinken was supposed to meet with China in a few days, I believe. And they knew Correct. that there's no way that this was going to float over the entire continental United States and not be seen. So I think they wanted to avoid this meeting with Secretary Blinken, and they took extreme measures to do so. Um, that's just a theory. I haven't been briefed, like I said. Why, why, why do you think they might want to avoid this uh, upcoming meeting with Secretary Blinken? Because Blinken was going to go over there and extend an olive branch and say, leave Taiwan alone. You know, we just signed the CHIPS Act. 
We have a very cold economic war uh, between us. But if we look like we're giving it the old college try and trying to go over there and meet with them, and I believe President Biden and uh, Xi Jinping made this uh, scheduled this meeting in Bali uh, months ago, so it's been a long time coming. Um, if if they gave us the chance to look like we were really trying to extend our hand in peace, then they would look like the bad guys if something goes wayward with their relationship with Taiwan. John G. Karras, uh, feel free to take a swing and see if you can pop this story for us. <laughs> oh, oh man, you I, you guys are leaving me with nothing left. Um, well, my my biggest question here is, I, and I think Eric, you were alluding to this. You know, China has all sorts of surveillance technology. They got tons of satellites up uh, up in the you know uh, in outer space to look down on us. And so, why the why the balloon was needed is all the more questionable were they just perimeter testing was this sort of uh, mm. um seeing you know how close they can get before we actually do something about it and it uh, as as pat alluded to the the upcoming meeting with um with uh, uh, secretary blinken in china which i think is still on if i'm not mistaken blinken's not going they, oh he's they not canceled. going They're he's delayed it. Yeah, they've, yeah. they've officially delayed it yeah. interesting interesting mm-hmm. all right well there you go um yeah i mean it, it's uh it, that's the only way I can make sense of this is if they were just trying to see what we would do and and, you know, whether or not what I mean, see how close they could get. And I mean, clearly they made it across the continental U.S. before we were able to do something about it. But, um, yeah, I you know, it's why else? I mean, let me ask you guys, why else do you think they would do this? Well, Charles, that's why I, I want to come to you with the question of what do you think the purpose of all of this was? Is this uh, an attempt by China to be provocative? Um, you know, as John mentioned, there are plenty of other ways that they can surveil the United States if they really want to. What, what do you think China is up to here? Oh, uh, We seem to have lost uh, Charles' audio, so we will uh, see what we can do to get uh, get that fixed. So I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to drop it back to you, Pat. I mean, what, yeah. what, you you will give something to add. Go ahead. I, I yeah. I just think they're 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 trying to move the conversation away. Something I don't hear a lot of people talking about, and has been a mild obsession for me for the past few years. Um, President Obama started the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is really making like aggressive diplomatic relations, improving them with smaller Asian Pacific Rim uh, countries around China. And it seemed like the motivation of this was to get in really good with these countries, which were a vital part of our supply chain, obviously pre-COVID, but still important for shipping lanes and things of that nature, because China is building land masses, moving tons and tons, hundreds of tons of sand in the middle of the South China Sea and building military airstrips in international waters, and sometimes, I believe, in territorial waters in the South China Sea. And so it is only a matter of time before we have to politely ask them to not do that because we have goods coming through or that they stop ships that we really need uh, when we're, you know, working with Taiwan about ships, for instance, you know. So that, that's why I mentioned earlier this, like, cold economic war situation that no one really wants to directly address. Um, and this balloon certainly uh, <laughs> takes the conversation away from economics and puts it on surveillance and intelligence. Can you yeah, hear it does. Me now? And uh, the... 
Yes, Charles, and I, I'm going to, uh, we're coming up on a break, so I'm going to come to you after we okay. uh, come back from the break. But yes, the, uh, I think okay. uh, you make an important point, Pat, about the Trans-Pacific Partnership as well, which was, it was always interesting to me that it was something that Donald Trump seemed to misunderstand, that it wasn't a benefit to China. It was a measure against China, and because of the uh, populist bent of, uh, of that moment, uh, it just kind of seemed that uh, we, we were going to go down that road of that thing being off the table, uh, no matter what, whether or not it was actually actually in the strategic interest of the United States. And uh, we'll have plenty more to say about the strategic interest of the United States, of China, of Taiwan, uh, of what is going on there when we are back. We want you to be a part of the program with us. 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. 
For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. And I want to go straight to uh, Charles Lipson. Charles, I want to get your take on, uh, give, give me your hot air on this balloon situation. Uh, what is going on here? What do you make of it? Is this uh, deliberate provocation from China? G- give me anything you got. Well, the first thing is that I think we need to know a, not, a lot more, and we will over time. Uh, the second thing is that I was reminded uh, of a famous line that occurred uh, during uh, the negotiations after uh, the end of the Napoleonic Wars in 1815, and one of the uh, the Russian ambassador on his way uh, to the uh, conference died, and uh, the other top diplomats got together, and one of them asked, what do you think he meant by that? Uh, I think that that's what we're in the that's what we're in the middle of is trying to figure out. And let me give you a couple of possibilities. The first thing is that this is enormously self-defeating for China. There's no way that you could infuriate more Americans and especially those in the center of the country than by sending a giant balloon in into their state's airspace. Uh, which is exactly what China did, and it was found out, and it is infuriating. Uh, secondly, it it's really hard to understand why uh, Joe Biden spent so much time waiting to shoot it down, other than the fact that it would have interfered with the early bird special dinner that he had planned. Um, the third thing I would say is that there's a real possibility that this was an operation of their military and intelligence people uh, that was uh, not coordinated with their diplomats and may not have been coordinated at the most senior level with Xi. But this is a, this is a bad mistake for the Chinese. Pat, I want to go back to you. I mean, you were uh, floating the theory earlier that this was um, uh, an intentional move by China, wanting to delay the upcoming meetings with Secretary Blinken. What, what do you make of Charles' uh, analysis that this is a mistake on this on China's part? Um, boy, I'd hate to be the guy that made that mistake uh, in in China. You know, the intelligence official under Xi Jinping who uh, forgot. Yes, sorry, boss, we forgot to brief you on the whole intercontinental balloon situation right before the Secretary of State comes and visits. Um, I, it's definitely a possibility, and I would certainly trust uh, Charles's analysis uh, over my armchair, you know, Sunday morning uh, analysis. But um, my understanding, and that, you know, I only know what Andrea Mitchell tells me. And, and this morning on Meet the Press, she said, <laughs> you know, it's 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 pretty ironclad. You know, the intelligence, it's 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 a pyramid. Everything flows up to Chi. And so, is it a possibility? I'd definitely say so. But like, you know, th- that that guy's in trouble if that's the case. Um, I also wanted to say, you know, John made a good point uh, during the break about uh, intelligence and our our relationship with China that I thought was interesting. 
Well, I was just mentioning. Well, John, why don't you go ahead and make that point? Then? <laughs> I was just mentioning how, you know, uh, I mean, here we've been living with uh, TikTok on all our phones for the last five years. I mean, you want to talk about Chinese surveillance. That doesn't seem to, you know, bother anyone. But here this balloon floats over the continental U.S. and it's a, you know, a, a five alarm fire. I mean, I, I, yes, the, the, the balloon thing is a big deal. But the bigger deal is the fact that, you know, uh, at least 25% of the population has voluntarily had this app on their phones that arguably is already uh, surveilling us and collecting data that, you know, it, it, it feels like there's a lot of bipartisan cooperation in Congress to get to, to do something about that. They've already eliminated it from all federal employee phones. And maybe this is, you know, this is the, the, the green light to go a little further on that. And I would say they would go further on the farmland stuff too, wouldn't mm -hmm. you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, let's let's come back to since you brought up TikTok, I was going to bring up TikTok later, but um, I, I I think we could see the difference in the type of just, just the type of story that we're dealing with there. As you mentioned, John, I mean these are people who are uh, in a sense willingly sharing all of that information in the same way that they are willingly sharing information with Facebook, with Twitter, with any other big tech company um, that they just don't know the extent of or, or are happy to not know the extent of because who actually reads those uh, terms and conditions that you have to agree to in order to sign up for an account there. Um, but this is uh, this does seem like something interesting that there could be some kind of a bipartisan consensus on uh, banning a social media app from app stores and i'm i'm just curious what everybody uh what everybody makes of that uh pat why don't we start with you yeah i th um in in talking with john during the break um we were kind of scratching our heads under why this hasn't gained more bipartisan support at least not vocal bipartisan support like it doesn't seem like a hot button issue where people are against it on either side feels like there's generally consensus in Congress that this is a bad thing and we should uh, get rid of it. At the same time, we'd really like the youth in our party to vote for our candidates. So maybe we shouldn't, you know, pull the plug on their main outlet uh, for social media content and, uh, you know, therapeutic content generation. Um, that's the only thing that I could come back to about it. And the other thing is that, you know, this is you start pulling that thread of let's regulate social media and start talking about privacy and data security on personal devices. Like, I don't, you want to open that box? That, 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 that sounds like Pandora's box to me. Well, John, is this just for that reason uh, a much easier thing for Republicans to get behind since they uh, are probably less concerned with uh, young supporters and their dance videos on TikTok since, well, just generally speaking, there are fewer of them in Republican circles? Well, I was just about to say good luck trying to talk the, the, the youths into taking the, the TikTok off their phones because they really seem to like it. But, um, it, it, yeah, I mean, frankly, I think, I mean, you know, we, we kind of joke and jest, but I, I, I really think that Republicans probably could care less what, what the kids think of it they they really think it's a national security threat um I, I, again they they uh put it in the um the omnibus bill last year i think it was holly's amendment that did that and you know it got wide support so why not go further with it i mean there are very few things both sides can agree on and something pat was showing me um uh, just before we started uh, uh on the air was a a poll that shows wide bipartisan consensus among republicans democrats and independents saying that the u.s needs needs to take a, a tougher stance on china Charles, do, do you think this whole incident will uh, precipitate the United States taking a tougher stance on China? I mean, we've, uh, as we noted, Secretary Blinken's uh, trip has now been delayed. Uh, th there's been a lot of buildup. There hasn't been a lot of confrontation. Are we going to see a more confrontational period with China coming up? Absolutely. 
Um, I think that the main problem is that we've got three big problems on the table. We've got uh, Russia in Ukraine, we've got Iran moving toward a bomb, and we've got China. I think um, the real, the short-term problem is Russian expansionism, but we've got another country that's willing to fight that as long as we provide them with the material and ammunition, we meaning mostly the U.S., but also NATO partners. And I think uh, what's happened with regard to China is that virtually all of its uh, neighbors in the Pacific now view it as a threat. And the United States has made a major move uh, uh, in a partnership with the Philippines in the last week or two to expand our naval presence there. Uh, I think that we're... Um, that the big issue has to do with how much we're willing to arm Taiwan, which can pay for it. Yeah, Pat, what do you uh, what do you make of the possibility of um, you know, we're, we're arming uh, the Ukrainians, and that is now a source of much consternation for many of those on the right, which seems to be an interesting evolution in the orientation of the political parties towards foreign policy. It seems to me that the Democrats have become much more hawkish, and Republicans are, are trying their uh, trying the the Dove costume on to see how it fits them. I. It, it is there. There is a shift, you know. I think, like you know, a holly versus a, a a mace. You know, I think there's there's big shifts in in how this is viewed on on both sides, honestly. But you know, at the same time, we had here on the continent a Republican saying, "Let's shoot this thing out of the sky." You know, uh, debris trail be damned, and that you know, intelligence gathering and things of that nature. You know, it requires subtlety, and so even the possibility of being able to glean some sort of information from them watching us uh, simply didn't come up because it had to do with a, a, our mind goes to a territorial dispute. But clearly there needs to be, I, I just don't know if there's anything to compare it to. You know, we, we have dropped references to the Cold War and things of that nature. Um, but, even, you know, with, <laughs> there was no TikTok uh, back then. Um, it, it's going to require a new approach. And I, I think it's interesting what Charles mentioned because I think we also opened a military base uh, in Guam uh in recently we're also stepping up our diplomatic efforts uh, in africa to offset the the belt and road project which china has has tried to use to either be some sort of debt trap or uh, an honest push at building infrastructure and ports that they could benefit from but at the end of the day we know that china is trying to encroach and grow their international uh, presence and so how we offset that without using the military uh i think we're open to suggestions in that realm John, any suggestions in that realm? 30 seconds. Um, well, I, I just I, I couldn't help but notice when you were mentioning how, how Republicans are you know, starting to sound more dovish on foreign policy these days and, and the left is sounding more hawkish. I also never thought we'd see a day where uh, the, the, the right would turn on the FBI and the left would be defending it. But here we are. <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, how, how do you accomplish? Look, at, at the end of the day, um, while there are some, some on the right that are squabbling about the foreign aid to Ukraine, uh, broader picture there needs to be an end game in sight and someone needs to put it forth mm -hmm. and someone needs to come up with a way we can come to a negotiated settlement because just doing this in perpetuity isn't going to last forever 
We'll, uh, we'll continue to discuss that and many more things when we are back after the break. We want you to join the program with us this evening, and you can do so by giving us a call at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you want to be a part of the program with us this evening, Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces. Just by giving her a bear hug, she masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media, many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Eric Owen, 
filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you for joining us on the program this evening. And we have reached the uh, duly appointed part of the program where we allow our guests to uh, introduce themselves and say a little bit about themselves to the audience. And we will start with our conservative this evening, John Giacaris. Uh, for those who don't know me, John Giacaris, I'm a senior tax counsel at Rock, Fusco & Connolly, specializing in uh, property tax law and uh, been a lifelong Republican in Illinois, uh, working on several campaigns uh, for the last 20 years. A uh, lifelong Republican in Illinois, John, uh, in what other ways do you like to make yourself suffer? <laughs> yes. uh, that's that's pretty much number one. Uh, I think number two, um, no, I don't watch pro wrestling anymore, so that's that's about it. <laughs> but you are a Bears fan, so I guess that is, uh, that's probably the other way. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, uh, masochistic one, indeed. Indeed, indeed. Uh, our liberal guest this evening, Pat Whalen. Uh, hello, Pat Whalen. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. No, it's it's my third time on. It's a pleasure to be with you, gentlemen, again. Uh, a Chicagoan. I've been out here for a long time. Uh, previously, in uh, before the pandemic, uh, an actor in 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 screen and stage uh, fell into civic life uh, during the pandemic. Uh, volunteered, got hired. Uh, now a state senate staffer. Uh, here in Illinois, and um, as John and and all of you know, uh, high functioning cynic. <laughs> hey Pat, uh, how how many more of uh, the jokes that you prepared this evening do you think I am going to steal before you have a chance to make them? I'm not even going to telegraph <laughs> uh, because clearly, you know, you've you've been studying my ways, so I ne I need to be yes. careful. I need to approach it in a subtle, you know, intelligence gathering style as opposed to a brash militaristic yes. one. Well, you, you, you presume that I haven't been approaching this in an intelligence-gathering style by reading your Hello Kitty diary every <laughs> evening before you... Uh, I knew I shouldn't have left that in uh, the studio. <laughs> that's, that's a mistake. Always a mistake. And uh, Charles Lipson. Charles. I'm originally from the Mississippi Delta, about 80 miles south of Memphis, uh, where so many of the African-Americans in Chicago come from. Uh, I went east to college uh, and then got a Ph.D. and really for 40 plus years have taught at the University of Chicago, mostly in international relations. Recent years, I've been doing more uh, writing of opinion columns, which I must say, I enjoy both the writing and the thinking about those bigger issues and trying to set them in, uh, get them clear in my own mind. Once I can get them clear in my mind, I hope I can express them clearly to others. Thank you, Charles. And wh why don't we turn to the domestic political angle of this China story that we've been talking about, uh, which I suppose it shouldn't surprise us to see that this story, like so many other political stories, immediately turned into performative politics. Uh, we saw, I saw numerous uh, tweets from politicians, uh, Republican politicians, uh, sitting in chairs holding rifles, supposedly ready to shoot down the uh, the balloon. Um, I, I find the, one of the more interesting stories to be, I'm looking at a story here from uh, The Hill, that balloons similar to the one that was shot down off the coast of South Carolina this weekend flew over the United States at least three times during the Trump administration. So I imagine that is another angle of this that we're going to be, uh, we're going to be debating in the coming days of, you know, as people asked why Joe Biden didn't do more immediately, people will ask why Trump didn't do anything at all. 
And I will, you know, acknowledge that also we saw, I think, some uh, some interesting stuff from this on the left of, of some commentators who immediately were uh, defending Joe Biden's reticence to act to shoot it down and then immediately celebrated it when he did act to shoot it down. Um, Pat, I'll go to you as the high functioning cynic here. Is this just the kind of cynical politics that we're just going to have about any given issue, even one like this that I think, as we noted previously, there does seem to be bipartisan agreement on the seriousness of the threat of China um, and even potential actions like uh, banning TikTok. But nonetheless, we have to get our performative politics out, don't we? We do. And get it out is exactly what I, I hope we do. I think, you know, especially with the tone and tenor, the way things have been if for a while in this country, it, it is perhaps natural to react in a way uh, that is a little more finger pointy. But you know, I have long said that if anything has ever cured America's ills in, as we inch towards civil war or increase, uh, you know, divisive rhetoric, uh, it is an enemy outside of our borders that has historically always brought us together. And we're up to our ears in them. You know, I, I don't really know what the holdup is here. I did, you know, in, in my practicing punditry here with you uh, try to go to church in the morning and that is meet the press face the nation and this week was George Stephanopoulos amen and uh, and there were roundtables where people were like what are we doing you know why why are we turning this into something to argue about like this is something we need to come together on and that's why I'm glad John mentioned that poll that I saw um, about you know pretty much bipartisan support you know the voters think that if this is a threat we need to do something about it um, it, it needs to be taken care of or it will take care of us. Man, that was that was dark. <laughs> uh, a, a man named Whalen, as I believe, just named a new Holy Trinity on this program. So uh, <laughs> I, I will I will wait to see what the uh, Pope has to say about that. Um, John, let's uh, let, let's swing it over to you. Do you think the revelation that, uh, especially with the way that Republicans have reacted to the balloon story over the course of several days, um, many of them calling for Joe Biden to take more immediate action, to uh, shoot it down, um, plenty of them also seeming to realize that uh, whatever gun they're holding cannot hit 60,000 feet in the air uh, if they were to fire rounds off, which they didn't seem to be aware of. Um, or maybe they were and were just, again, posing for uh, for Twitter or for TikTok, I guess. Who knows? Um, do you think of this in any way will, uh, will will not do well for Donald Trump? He is the only declared Republican candidate for president right now. Um, and I, again, I'm just I find the story of the three balloons over his uh, four years in office that uh, we never heard hide nor hair of um, that he didn't take any action on seemingly and just were allowed to roam across the United States airspace. Well, so that's the thing. Uh, a couple things here. Um, optically, I think it would be tough to try to argue that Donald Trump was was weak on China, right? I mean, in many cases after his presidency, there, there it, it, the one, one thing he seemed to permanently change is at least our perception of our relationship with China and how much that has to change. That, that it's, They're no longer just getting a free, pra, uh, a free pass on a sort of a mutual trade type relationship. But more broadly speaking, um, that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I was kind of puzzled, too, to hear that apparently there had been two or three balloons that had done this under Trump's tenure. But it wasn't blown up in the press. It wasn't made an issue. Uh, it wasn't in the national spotlight back then. So, um, you know, I mean, any, anytime anything is happening under any given president, the other side is going to use it as an opportunity to present them as weak and indecisive and, uh, you know, not not having the, um, you know, fortitude to to, 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 to 
take executive actions. But um, at the end of the day, I, I think it's going to be a tough sell to say that Trump was was weak on China when, you know, in many ways, he really changed our, our, our relationship with China permanently. Well, John, let me push back on that slightly. I mean, sure. I think there's always this been this disconnect between um, Donald Trump's rhetoric and Donald Trump's policies, right? So like, people would always point out that he was uh, his policies towards Russia were particularly strong, sure. that his rhetoric towards Russia was particularly weak. Um, I, I think that you one could make arguments with regard to China, for instance, tanking the uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership was not a tough on China move. Um, his rhetoric may have been tough on China, but does the policy game for that actually match up? And I guess the bigger question is, does anybody really care? <laughs> I, I, I think they care. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be as cynical as Pat on this one, particularly after after the poll we discussed. But um, yeah, I, I think people care and uh, it, it is bothering people that, you know, uh, there is a, a, a hostile enemy out there. Particularly, you know, I, I think people have been reminded that the Chinese Communist Party still runs the show in that in that country. And while they've, you know, allowed for some economic freedom on the margins, um, it's still a, a totalitarian regime uh, running everything. And uh, I, I think people are really uncomfortable with that. And so there is an opportunity here. Again, there's I, I think there's broad consensus on both sides that the, that something has to be done. Um, if, if both parties are willing to you know, uh, put aside their egos and come up with something um, comprehensive, I, I, think, I, th I think it would be very popular. Charles, what do you think the uh, domestic political impact of this whole balloon story is, is going to be? Well, the first thing I want to say is that there's been a movement toward greater nationalism in the Republican Party as it's moved away from its old kind of corporate base to a now working class uh, base so that there's a, a lot more concern about the hollowing out of our manufacturing and other things. Second thing is I, I think that the decoupling that's going on economically with China will continue and probably be speeded up. If you were sitting in any corporate boardroom, one of the questions you would be asking yourself now is, if things get worse between the United States and China, are there things that we are currently importing for China to put in our cars or anything else that we could be cut off from? And of course, the fact that uh, all this has already happened in Russia has alerted them to the fact that it could very well happen. So I, I think that all that is going on. Now, there are some companies that sell in China, and they have a more complicated situation. Yes. Uh, but I, I actually think that what we're moving into is a much more – China is no longer perceived as simply a rival. I think it's – Charles, we're, uh, we're, we're coming up on a hard break, so I'm, I'm going to have to hold you there, and we will get back to that when we come back. After the break, join us on the program at 1-800-723-8289. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway.
Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening. And they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We are back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. And we want you to give us a call and be a part of the program with us at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 to join us on Beyond the Beltway. And I want to go to the phones right now. Let's go to Douglas in Kansas, who's listening on line one. Douglas, you're on Beyond the Beltway. Yeah, how you doing? I wanted to bring up the point that nobody seemed to be bringing up and the fact that we needed to shoot this balloon or have control of it when we got a line drawn in the Pacific Ocean and they were supposed to be watching and they weren't until it hit our shorelines. 
And uh, if this was a small nuclear device, it would destroy 80, uh, an 80 mile radius. And, and a large nuclear weapon will do 180 mile radius of destruction. And, uh, you know, we got to remember December 7th, Pearl Harbor, when stuff like this is going on. And it's amazing that this thing made it to Washington State, and you wonder if it was actually launched in Russia because of this. Great. Douglas, uh, thanks so much for your call. Appreciate it. Um, so I, I would imagine, again, I'm not an expert on these things, and, and you know, Charles, you seem like uh, somebody who might know uh, a lot about these. I, I imagine the, the type of surveillance that we are utilizing in order to detect something like a uh, balloon coming in at 65,000 feet is massively different from what we would use to de uh, detect uh, a launch of nuclear warheads from another country. I would imagine that this is certainly, while it is not something that we should uh, not take seriously, um, these are in, I think, two different categories. I think that's right, but I don't think that we've been told when the military first uh, saw this balloon. My hunch is that they saw it a long way before it entered U.S. airspace, and we won't be told that because it would give away uh, how accurate our surveillance is. But my, I, I just find the whole thing puzzling. If we saw that it was coming into the United States and had entered U.S. airspace, uh, I, I'm really surprised that we didn't uh, take it down much earlier uh, as it came into uh, our airspace uh, in the Pacific, uh, you know, just off the coast. And then there's a lot of airspace in uh, Montana, we could have taken it down, I think, without risk to life or limb. But the question there is whether we were gathering uh, enough intelligence from that balloon ourselves that we wanted uh, to keep it going because we we were seeing something from it that was that mattered to us. Yeah, Pat, one of the things I think is interesting here, and, and we were kind of alluded to this earlier in uh, in the program, that you have these three balloons that flew over the United States while Trump was president. We didn't hear anything about it whatsoever. And yet we do hear about this one. I'm curious, what do you think is different? I mean, is this, um, I don't know that this was a case where this was independently noticed uh, by, you know, somebody on the ground in the media, if this was released to the media. I don't know that we know all the details of this yet, but I'm curious, uh, I'll, I'll even indulge you in rank speculation here if you want to go down that road. What is different between this incident where we found out about it and the three that happened during the Trump administration where we didn't hear about it until apparently a few days ago that this happened f over the course of four years, six years ago? Well, my favorite kind of speculation is rank, so that is tempting. Um, but I think <laughs> what, what I heard uh, this morning at church was that it was noticed well off the coast of Alaska by the military. But then somewhere around Montana, where it was visible to the naked eye, you know, there are plenty of videos online of this thing being shot down, of it floating. So the scale of it is what really blew my doors off, that it's at 60,000 feet or higher and visible from the naked eye by a civilian on the ground. So that's the first thing. Second, I believe it was NBC who saw these things online about there's something up in the sky, and then they started to hit up their contacts in the military and try to figure out what it was. 
then NBC was going to break the story. And then the White House is scrambling to brief Congress on it before it, it hits the news. That is my understanding. Um, but all of this kind of goes back to why, why just let it happen? And, and I don't understand why, if that is the case, if what I just said is true, that these other instances that you're talking about during the Trump administration, no one would see it and no one would try to investigate it. Um, I could also see someone coming up to Donald Trump saying, Mr. President, there's a, there's a balloon fight. That's very nice. That's nice. I like balloons. How big is a great balloon? It's big. It's a big balloon. I like that. He doesn't know what he's, you know what I mean? There's, there's no sense of urgency with him. There's no context. There's no, there's, there's, there's very little like history of our relationship with China or why should we, we should be concerned about surveillance. But the other question for me, sorry about the rank speculation. I missed the, the exit on that. But, um, what is this thing seeing or taking in that the satellites that are going over all the time is not? I, it, it's very and, – and all these questions, again, bring me back to I just think they were pushing our buttons. They wanted to see what we would do. They didn't want to sit down with Blinken, and they wanted to change the subject. And that, that's my rank speculation, well, so I brought it home. Well, now that Pat has opened the door, John, you have uh, 30 seconds to do dueling Trump impersonations on this topic. <laughs> listen, listen. First of all, no one's been tougher on China than me, okay? Nobody. I, I, the reason you didn't hear about the balloons during when I was president was because we shot them down so fast it made she's head spin, okay? So we took care of it. Biden, he didn't do anything. He's not tough on China. He doesn't even come close, okay? Thank you very much. Yeah. Pat, John, you see, uh, John you see what you did here. <laughs> you see what you did here. You open the door to that. Uh, you open the door to that, and this is what we get: is we get <laughs> dueling Trump impersonations on this program. Um, I, I think we may have uh, uh, fully sucked all the air out of the balloon topic. Ooh. So, in the second hour of this program, I uh, do want to turn and pay a little bit more attention to what is going on in the domestic political world. Plenty happening in Congress, and oh, by the way, if you didn't know about it. Uh, coming up this week is the State of the Union, which uh, I wish wasn't happening, but nonetheless, it is something that is going to be happening, and we'll have an opportunity to talk about that as well. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Oh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. 
It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, a kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. We are back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. I want to remind you that our phone lines are open. Give us a call at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 to join the program this evening. And as I said, I want to switch to uh, not just the domestic policy implications of the China balloon story and of foreign policy, particularly regarding China, but I want to switch just to domestic politics now and uh, to a party line vote that happened on Thursday, 218 to 211, uh, with one member voting present. And that was a vote to uh, remove Representative Ilan Omar of Minnesota from the Foreign Affairs Committee. Now, this follows uh, in since uh, 2021, uh, when the House then controlled by Democrats removed two Republicans, Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia and Paul Gosar of Arizona, from their committee assignments. Uh, John, I want to go to you first on this with the question, uh, one, was this the right move? Was it a wise move? And the reason that is being given by Republicans for removing Ilan Omar from this committee is comments that she has made uh, over the course of time that uh, honestly you can trace comments similar to this back to the time when she was in the Minnesota state legislature that are anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. um, was it the right move? Was it the wise? Was it a wise move? And was it done for what you think is the right reasons? 
So I'll take those in order. Uh, the conventional wisdom is that uh, this has to be done in order to get Democrats to stop doing it, right? So, so the Democrats, you know, they remove our people. We have to remove their people in sort of a, a, a tactic to get them to back off. Um, in my experience, you know, these these types of escalatory moves don't de-escalate. They only perpetuate, right? And it, the, the tit for tat just goes back and forth. It might be a regular thing now where every time Congress switches hands, we're going to go through this with, you know, the most loud and, and outspoken uh, members of Congress. I, I should also note that um, a, after uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was removed, it pretty much made her a superstar overnight with the small donors. I mean, I'd never even heard of her after, until they removed her. And next thing you know, she just blew up after that. I, I could foresee the same thing happening to Ilan Omar. Um, was it the wise move? Well, this, the, real quick, I want to get to the, the question, because you alluded to the third question, your answer to the first one there, sure. which is, um, isn't the honest answer for why they did this is because Democrats did it to us? Yeah. Um, and it, wouldn't it make more sense for Republicans to just say that as their rationale? That was like, the Democrats did this the last time they were in power. We're doing it now. And the whole point is, let's stop doing this so that we don't continue it. But by giving the explanation of, oh, it's because of these comments she made that were anti-Semitic, well, now there's another reason that's on the table. So you're going to continue to add these reasons to it's Marjorie Taylor Greene saying space lasery stuff. Now it's Ilhan Omar being anti-Semitic. And we just continue to try to find other reasons why people have too much of a fringe view of something to serve on some committee. And, you know, I, I, I really wish Republicans would be a little more honest with that because it's not like they don't have any precedent here for disciplining their own members. You may remember a congressman from Iowa named Steve King uh, that they removed uh, from committees, uh, I think it was in 2018 or 2019, um, again, for making a lot of dumb remarks about, you know, you know, white supremacy not being a big deal or, you know, some, uh, some other crazy thing. So, you know, Republicans have disciplined their own in the past. Democrats, not so much. Uh, and if, if, if Republicans were a little more honest about what they're trying to accomplish here, I think it, it, it would get sort of a, a, a broader understanding of, of why, they're, why they're doing this. And then as far as, you know, whether or not it was it was the wise move, I mean, again, you know, th these tit for tat things never seem to de-escalate. They only seem to perpetuate. So I don't think it's going to uh, stop, you know, the Democrats from doing it after they get in power. And then we're going to always have this back and forth. Um, but, you know, if if Republicans were to at least explain that a little better, I think people would understand why. Pat, I'll let you address any part of what John just said there that you would like to, but I also want you to address there at least um, the reason given by Republicans there. Uh, do the comments, the kind of comments that Ilan Omar has made, again, not just over her time in Congress, but even going back to when she was in the Minnesota state legislature, um, do those, are these the kind of things that are, I guess, concerning to you. I mean, I'm, I find anti-Semitism to be something deeply concerning, um, but there seems to be some dispute over whether or not uh, she really meant these. I think the coverage is very interesting in the way that it has been phrased of things she came to learn were anti-Semitic, which again is the kind of, I think it's the kind of thing that really drives people on the right crazy because it's the kind of a story framing you would never get about a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Paul Gosar or a Steve King on the other side. Absolutely. It, you wouldn't get the framing uh, with Steve King or Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, you know, one could argue that that's because they're not a Muslim woman in, in of color in Congress who statistically probably get a little more scrutiny uh, from Republicans than 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 white people might 
maybe. Um, but I, I think this is kind of a broader cancel culture thing for me where it's like if, if you do make a mistake and you are in a state legislature and you say something for whatever reason, and I do not know what the comments are, but for the record, anti-Semitism, unacceptable, whatever the context, does not matter, always bad, always unacceptable. Um, so whatever what was said and then learning from it, so I can't speak to like what she learned or like what that process was, but is there any room in the political arena for these sorts of learning moments? Um, no, you, you can see that based on everyone's answer about why uh, classified documents were, were found in elected officials' homes. I think Mike Pence got the closest when he said mistakes were made. He didn't say who made the mistakes. But he said mistakes were made, and I think that's about as close to an apology with that we're going to get. Um, you know, Jewish space lasers is also potentially anti-Semitic for me. Like, I don't know why they got to be Jewish space lasers, but that, that kind of goes back to the, the scrutiny based on the person thing. Um, but my last point is that McCarthy has nothing else. If there were some policy standing in the way that Omar's vote was going to sway in a committee, I would understand that. But Kevin McCarthy has a bag of cats that he needs to keep quiet for the next two years, and maybe maybe one of them, Marjorie Taylor Greene, would calm down a little bit more uh, if, if he did this tit-for-tat business. So I think it's all internal, and there's just no there there in terms of what's going to make lives better for Americans. Uh, Charles, got about uh, 45 seconds before we have to break here. Feel free to uh, take this any way you like to go. I think that uh, um, the... Uh, in the Jewish community, uh, Elon Omar is one of the most prominent voices uh, of anti-Semitism in public life. And the fact that uh, she's on the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, is a particular thorn in their side. And I think a lot of Republicans also thought tactically that it was a good thing to make the Democratic Party defend her uh, in this regard. And they managed to do that. Uh, and that, I think, is an important calculation here. Yes, uh, certainly true. I mean, we, we should also rem be reminded that uh, there was the last time Ilan Omar made comments um, uh, that were anti-Semitic, there was an effort to have a resolution condemning it that they did have to water down to include any kind of bigotry uh, because they couldn't get enough Democrat votes behind it. So um, it, it is certainly a vexatious issue uh, for many in Congress. We want to know what you think of it and give us a call at 1-800-723-8289. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect, so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. I remind you again, our phone lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 to be a part of the program with us this evening. And let's go from one divisive political figure in Ilan Omar to another divisive political figure on the other side of the aisle this time in Ron DeSantis. And Charles, I want to start with you because the big Ron DeSantis story this week was him pushing back on the College Board, um, their AP course in uh, African American Studies, which was going to, uh, it was being piloted in Florida, but it hadn't actually been implemented in the curriculum. DeSantis pushed back against this, saying that some of the content that made it up uh, was political, divisive, um, not the kind of curriculum that uh, he would like to see be a part of, uh, of those kinds of AP style courses. And we saw the college board basically acquiesce to his demands uh, to revise and remove some of the content topics, some of the authors that were uh, featured in there uh, that he specifically and that uh, his administration objected to. So politically, this looks like a big win for Ron DeSantis. But I'm curious for your perspective as someone who spent uh, that long in higher education, um, how you view this kind of a battle over the content of uh, curriculum 
which I think people on the right would say for a long time has been controlled by the left, written by people who are, uh, even if they are in nonpartisan positions, politically of the left. And now you have somebody of the right pushing back against it and seemingly uh, coming out victorious. Well, there are two sides to the story that I would like to think about. One is Ron DeSantis' political calculations. And I think he's been just brilliant time after time in the way that he's positioned himself. Because the key here is to convince Republicans that he's not what uh, in the Thatcher era in England was called a wet uh, which I think a lot of people think that somebody like Nikki Haley might be. That is, that he has the f ferociousness to go after um, the people who are coming after Republicans, and he's willing to take the fight to them. And I think he has good administrative uh, skills as well. What he seems to lack are kind of interpersonal skills that he'll have to to work on. I think on the on the intellectual side of this, it's important to remember that Florida already had a compulsory African-American history course. So this was an add-on. It was not about African-American history. It was about the ideology. And I've got to tell you, the ideology in K-12 and also in universities has gone through the roof. And it's uh, it's suffused the faculty. Conservatives no longer even want to go to graduate school. They know they won't be hired. I'm not talking about professional schools like law school and business school. I'm talking about PhD programs. They just know they won't be hired. They used to come to me almost like you were a gay student in 1952 or something and I was a gay professor and they wanted advice should they come out or something and you just had to tell them it's career death. Um, and I've, I've got to say, I, I spent the weekend, I had a house guest here from another very distinguished university. He says he can no longer uh, make jokes in class. Um, not because the jokes are in any sense offensive, but because there's such a low barrier to a student ruining his life by making a complaint. Uh, and the, the, the final point I'd make is these DEI bureaucracies have gone crazy in these universities. The, their so-called diversity, equity, and inclusion. But what they are is a kind of ideological uh, marching corps uh, that have all kinds of uh, authority. And Ron DeSantis is going after that in Florida as well. So I think that he's the first person who's picked the right kind of cultural battles, not battles over gay marriage and so forth, but ma uh, battles that I think a lot of parents are genuinely interested in and no longer uh, are willing to give any kind of deference to teachers uh, as uh, being these subject matter experts who have a right to overrule them. Pat, I'm going to give you an excerpt here from the New York Times that uh, summarizes the changes that were made after the DeSantis pushback. Uh, quote, the expunged writers and scholars include Kimberly W. Crenshaw, a law professor at Columbia, which touts her work as, quote, foundational in critical race theory. 
Roderick Ferguson, a Yale professor who has written about queer social movements, and Ta-Nehisi Coates, the author who has made the case for reparations for slavery. Gone to is Bell Hooks, the writer who shaped discussions about race, feminism, and class. Uh, one of the things I think is interesting there is in the debates that we have had over critical race theory and its inclusion in school curriculums, uh, one of the pushbacks I, I've heard is that um, uh, this isn't critical race theory. Critical race theory isn't actually in this. And here is the New York Times acknowledging that this is a part of this curriculum which has since been removed. So um, at, at minimum there for Republicans making, for conservatives making the accusation that critical race theory is something they're concerned about and inclusion in the curriculum, it, I would say this at least undermines the pushback that, no, this is not actually in there because even the New York Times here is admitting it was, right? Well, I think that there are, there are two places that, that we're talking about here. One is like in the home and in open society and the other is in the classroom. And, and to say that uh, educators are solely responsible to, you know, enlighten children to the effects and presence of racism in our society and the foundational effect that it has had on our society and our country for hundreds of years. Um, you know, I think it's early days on that. But to, to say that it makes people uncomfortable to talk about, I think is also true. Um, you know, I wonder if you went to Florida and said, uh, why was the Civil War fought? Would someone say for slavery or for states' rights? You know, and that, that's one I always come back to, is that what is the level of comfortability that we are willing to bring children into the conversation of acknowledging the foundational effect that racism had on our society in this country? Um, it's, it's unfair to say that it is educators' responsibility um, but I, I think Charles is absolutely right that Ron DeSantis is being smart about this. You know, when we talk about the Ilan Omar thing and say, is that smart? Is this wise? Is this a good decision? I think politically speaking for Ron DeSantis, it is a good decision. But if we can't get around the fact that racism exists and has a foundational effect on our culture and society in this country, if we can't come to terms with that in some way and acknowledge it, um, it it's, it's not good. It's, it's very bad. I, my understanding as well is that CRT was a college-level discussion. And now the theory is starting to trickle down, if you will, for lack of a better term, into younger people and, and trying to enlighten them and educate them into the fact that this exists. I, I can't go much farther than that except to say it does need to be dealt with and acknowledged. I don't know how to standardize that in education at young levels, certainly. John, feel free, of course, to respond to any part of that. But uh, from the political angle, I, I think we have to say here, looking at uh, what DeSantis has done, this victory for him, is this kind of thing is going to be part and parcel of the case that he is likely to make, assuming he will be a candidate for president of the United States, which we all seem to assume that he will be, that uh, not only does he fight these culture war battles, that he actually wins these culture war battles. And that will be, uh, I think, a key, a key part of him trying to distinguish himself from former President Trump. 100%. Um, I think we're all in agreement here that uh, uh, this is all designed uh, by DeSantis to expand his national profile, uh, particularly among Republican primary voters. Um, he gets to point to the fact that uh, he threatened Disney with their special tax status. And, you know, next thing you know, they, while not explicitly backing out of uh, uh, political activism, 
uh, you know, Bob Iger has said that, you know, they're going to tone it down at least. And then here, um, you know, he gets to say he pushed back uh, on the uh, uh, curriculum and, you know, they, they, they pulled back as well. So these are victories he's going to tout uh, for a presidential run, no doubt about it. Um, uh, while respectfully listening to uh, Pat's points, um, the only thing I would push back on uh, a little bit is uh, the, the, the notion of that um, uh, of the foundational effect of racism in our country. Um, I, I, I don't remember uh, any part of our you know, founding principles or our founding documents that uh, has any uh, type of um, uh, racial component to them. Um, you know, I, we all learn, I mean, you know, we've all been in school, you know, long time and, and, you know, we all learn about slavery. We all learn about the civil war. We all learn about Jim Crow and we all learn about the civil rights movement. Um, this isn't something that is being censored in schools, uh, by any means. Uh, I, I, I think where, where people, uh, have a dispute here is whether or not Racism is indeed a, a part of the foundational DNA of our country, and I think there are a lot of people who uh, rightfully believe that uh, you know racism was not a a a, a foundational um, component of, of of any of our documents or government, and uh, you know it is it is something we have strived a long time to to um, rectify. You know we fought a bloody civil war where you know six hundred fifty thousand Americans died. And, um, you know, I mean, up till, you know, 50 years ago with the civil rights movement, we've come a long way. Um, so that's that's, you know, I, I, I think to, to say that none of this is being taught in schools is not accurate. It is, yeah. it is the political. John, twist. We're, we're up against a break, but um, I, I want to give uh, Pat a chance on the other side of the break to give uh, his thoughts on that. But we'll give him that opportunity when we are back. Give you an opportunity, too, at 1-800-723-8289. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription. 
and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. And uh, Pat, as I said, I want to come back to you. Um, and I, I think the a couple of things to point out here um, one, so what we were talking about with regard to the Florida story is the curriculum for an uh, AP course. So we are talking about a high school level course here um, that was including scholars, again, such as Kimberly Crenshaw, um, uh, people such as Ta-Nehisi Coates. And I, I think John's point, um, and I think the point of, of many on the right would be that um, there is a way to have conversations about these uncomfortable topics but to do so not utilizing people who I think the right would regard, and, and we can debate whether or not this is uh, the right to regard it this way, as people who are polemicists, um, not as much scholars or historians, but people who are making political arguments for their own political advantage. So feel free to respond to, to any of that, as well as to the points that John was making before the break. Absolutely. Well, no one's making more political advantageous moves on this than Ron DeSantis, which we've been talking about that plenty. Uh, I, I don't think there's any ideological uh, horse in this race for him. This is clearly a stepping stone to getting the presidency. Again, it's something we can all agree on. Uh, but the fact that we just got through saying, you know, Ilan Omar has got to go off the, uh, the the committees and, you know, she she, she can't have a, a, a learning opportunity uh, to, you know, be enlightened about the, the dangers and prevalence of anti-Semitism. But racism will go away on its own. Surely that like without discussing it in schools and with children, you know, people will just know eventually uh, that it's wrong and it'll go away uh, without talking about it. Th this is basically what I hear, uh, not not from John and not from you, but certainly from Ron DeSantis. Um, you know, this we, we can't legislate people not being racist. We can't pass a law that says you'll go to jail if you are racist. It, it can't be done. And so there must be some other way to, you know, get the word out on the fact that racism is bad uh, through education. Now, I, I don't have a blueprint for that, but I will say that some people do learn about these topics that John mentioned about uh, Jim Crow 
and the Civil War and how it was about slavery and racism specifically. Um, and we'll say, good, because white people are their superior race. That There are people in this country who think that, and um, they own a lot of guns as well. So I, I think the idea that this will just go away on its own and that people will make the right decisions because our society will integrate um, is just is, is false, is faulty. Uh, there has to be a way to educate people. Man. Yeah, Charles, go ahead. I think these are straw man arguments that you're – that you're making with all due respect i i think what your position just now and in the previous one was if you didn't include this course with this kind of content you were somehow either not learning about these dreadful aspects of american history or you were coming close to sweeping them uh, away and i don't think that's true at all and in fact, what we just had, uh, it was just reported, that one member of a Miami African-American advisory council had called uh, Ron DeSantis a racist for eliminating uh, some, wanting to eliminate some content from this particular course. And the rest of the council now apologized and said, that's absolutely not the case. And I just, I, I, I think you're, underestimating how deeply suffused this particular kind of ideology is. I mean, look at what happened in San Francisco a week or two ago, where a council has decided that in a state that never had slavery and where there were no slaves in that state, that they should pay $5 million to anybody who was a, quote, long-term resident of San Francisco who was African-American. And when I saw that, all I thought was, boy, I would hate to be on that committee and say, you know, I wonder if $4.5 million would it be enough. You would just be called a racist for that. I think that people, it, it is absolutely critical that people understand that racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and all the rest are serious problems and need to be dealt with in a serious way. But I think a lot of this is pretty close to send, send uh, these uh, reactionary rounders to the uh, rice paddies to learn from the uh, noble peasants the correct ideology. I'm uh, more of a wicker, a wicker Man fan than a straw man, first of all. Um, but the, second of all, I think that the, the foundational... The foundational aspect that I mentioned earlier. And also, let me say, like, I can't speak to Charles's experience in academia, right? Like, this is this. It's very critical, critical race theory uh, for me to understand and, and acknowledge that we're talking about academia. We're talking about teaching people who teach people. And that is a huge responsibility. It's very expensive and it has lasting effects uh, on our culture and, and the people who, who live within it. Um, but I use the word foundational very specifically uh, because obviously I don't have to tell you there were slave owners who, you know, were like all men are created equal except my slaves. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, that's 
kind of what we're dealing with here 400 years later. And so once you start trying to put dollar amounts on it, I, I think we're losing what our goal is. And the goal is to eliminate racism, which is an outrageous thing to say, right? But what, what I mean to say when I'm talking about this in the terms of Ron DeSantis is that he is using racism to his advantage to gain power. And historically speaking, that does not go well. Uh, so I just think that's an outrageous comment. I mean, you know, I'm not, I just think the idea that you're saying he's mobilizing a kind of white supremacy approach by saying that CRT um, indoctrination of high school students is a problem and that he wants uh, these courses taught in a serious uh, way, which obviously is going to critique racism and segregation and should. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's outrageous to say that, 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 that wanting something reasonable like that comes close to endorsing white supremacy. Well, if you'll recall what I said, uh, it was that he's using racism to his advantage. I didn't say anything about what you just mentioned. Uh, but I think that empowering parents to make the decisions about what their children can and not can and cannot be taught in a public education setting is kind of really tough and as someone who's the governor of florida it's pretty smart for him to say these voters would like to have their kids learn about racism in a way that does not offend anyone and you know it's great to have goals you know it's great to have goals it's good to have lofty goals but I think that at the end of the day, this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation. And the other thing is, this is a growing pain for our country. I, I think like no one here is like racism should be given its due course in, in our town square. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're not, no one is defending that. But what we're saying is we want to go about it in the right way. I think that's well and noble. But I also think. Well, that this going is going to be just final point here. This is going to Charles, be a big yeah. issue over the coming year because we're going to get decisions related to affirmative action in college education, and that will have very wide ramifications, including admissions to to magnet schools and a lot of other things. So I think it's it's very important that Eric has put this on the table and that we're having this kind of a debate. I do want to get John uh, back in here, and uh, feel free. We've uh, we've gone a lot of different directions over the last couple of minutes, so feel free to uh, swing at that pinata from any direction you would like. Sure, sure. Um, uh, I mean, uh, uh, well, one thing I agree with Pat on is that uh, we, we certainly can't legislate what's in people's hearts, right? Um, that that's not something that government can do, nor really should it do. Um, uh, but uh, I, I I I do think that. Uh, you know, the notion, I mean, the, the, the idea or the, the campaign slogan, really, that DeSantis can go on about empowering parents over their uh, children's education, I think that's a winning message. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of parents uh, across uh, uh, America, particularly ones who um, have been bothered with, you know, what they've been seeing in their or learning about their children's classrooms ever since the COVID experience. So um, I, I, I think that's going to, you know, work very well to his advantage. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it clearly it's an ongoing conversation, um, but, you know, there's I mean, there's a difference between learning the facts of history, learning about, you know, uh, the, the, the history of slavery and the Civil War and Jim Crow and civil rights, and then learning, um, you know, political narratives and political twists from, you know, unbiased sources about 
whether or not this was, uh, you know, foundational in America's DNA. Uh, yes, there were uh, slaveholding founding fathers, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, they did write those words, um, you know, about uh, uh, every man being equal. And, you know, they, they made no caveats about that. And it was a tricky subject then to deal with. Um, but like I said, we fought a very bloody civil war over it. And we've gone through a lot of growing pains, as, as, as Pat mentioned, um, uh, over the last uh, two centuries. But if, if it gets to the point where the Supreme Court says uh, uh, affirmative action is, is no longer needed to uh, reach uh, uh, parity amongst uh, a- academia, I think that's, that's a significant milestone. We'll uh, be paying attention to what happens with the uh, Supreme Court, of course, in the uh, coming months and uh, a whole lot more uh, to be discussed on this, I am sure, as uh, we wait to see if Ron DeSantis does decide that he is going to be a candidate for president of the United States. I'm sure there'll be plenty more opportunities to talk about this and plenty of other Ron DeSantis related subjects in the future. When we are back after the break, we will give you our preview of the upcoming State of the Union address. So get excited as excited as you possibly can for the State of the Union. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry. We're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! 
Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. We are back for the final segment this evening on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. And at 9 p.m., Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, February 7th, this coming Tuesday. Uh, they will open the doors of the House of Representatives, and uh, that guy will say, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. And for the first time, everybody will stand up and st- start applauding, and they will not cease to do that at uh, intermittent intervals uh, for the next probably about two and a half hours or well beyond when I personally can take all of that kind of a show. But nonetheless, this is uh, one of the most, uh, I suppose, politically important events of the year, the State of the Union, State of the Union address from Joe Biden. Pat, I'm going to start with you. What are you hoping to hear from Joe Biden in this year's State of the Union address? At least one of our balloon jokes. Let's start there. <laughs> yes. You know, inflation is We've down. given him so much material. I know his people, his speechwriters are listening to this program right now. Feel free to uh, steal any of those jokes without credit. I'm, I'm not going to come after you. Neither will Pat, John. I'm going to hit Charles, up Ron Klain will. on Feel LinkedIn yeah. before I get in my car and head yes. home. I'm going to hit up Ron Klain because <laughs> um, he's out soon. Um, no, I, you know, the economic picture um, the the infrastructure bill, you know, the 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 congressional achievements uh, without leaning too hard into no one thought I could do it. You know, if Joe Biden turns this into I told you so, it's going to be uh, divisive. Um, but uh, he doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. What, what I think he's going to do is he's going to say inflation is coming down. He's not going to make it a balloon joke. That would be in poor taste for the State of the Union. But inflation is coming down as jobs rise. We have these economic reports, these job reports that are very favorable. Um, and, um, you know, there are large infrastructure projects coming, which will mean more jobs and Im- improving the lives of Americans. And so if we can focus on that, less divisive rhetoric, uh, more of the look what we did together. John, let's uh, go to you. What are you, I'm not going to say hoping in your case, but what are you expecting to hear from uh, Joe Biden? And uh, also put yourself in the mind of, I I don't believe I know who is giving the Republican response to it, if we know that yet. Um, I will uh, look that up while you're speaking, but put yourself in the mind of the person who has that. uh, Huckabee Sanders. There you go. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. There we go. Uh, so put yourself in the mind of Sarah Huckabee Sanders and that unenviable job of giving the response to the State of the Union, which just never comes off with the same kind of gravitas that standing there in the well of the House and speaking before the entire gathered Congress does. Um, so w- what are you expecting to hear from Joe Biden and what are you expecting or hoping to hear in the response to Joe Biden's State of the Union address? 
I, I should mention, unfortunately, the only time, uh, or, uh, the only thing that anyone giving the the response to the State of the Union can do is just not screw it up. <laughs> if you screw it up somehow, that's what makes all the headlines. And yet, Marco Rubio. <laughs> and yet, uh, we have we've there just been so many. I, I remember who was uh, um, uh, Bobby Jindal with his kind of Kenneth the Page from Thirty Rock routine. Um, it it is just the point. It is one of the worst jobs in politics. You just do not want to get that job because you just never come off looking as good no. as the president of the United States does. It's 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 a, it's a tough spot. Um, it, it, as far as what I expect from Biden, um, I, you know, Pat covered a lot of that. Um, I think he's going to. Um, just, I mean, you know, front and center is going to be the new jobs report that came out where, you know, it was way above expectations and unemployment, at least officially is down to, I think it's lowest point since May of 1969. Um, and he's going to talk the infrastructure bill and anything else. Uh, one thing I'll be very curious to see, uh, what he, or, or maybe how he addresses it is, uh, what he says about China. I mean, obviously we've been talking about the balloon thing for an hour. Um, and I mean, I think people will, will, will want to see what tough stances he's taken or any kind of action. I mean, you know, saying your secretary of state canceled a, a meeting that we were going to have, that's not saying much. Um, so I'll be curious if he can point to any specific actions or legislation there. Um, and then, yeah, then as far as uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee's, uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' response, like I said, unfortunately, all, all you can do is just not screw it up. Um, I would try to point out uh, all the uh, things that Americans are still feeling. Uh, I think they're still feeling uh, a lot of high grocery uh, prices, um, a lot of high gas prices. Um, I, I would accentuate those things. And frankly, um, I think uh, she should articulate uh, a cohesive agenda that um, Republicans have uh, going forward. I mean, yes, they just took the House. But again, beyond a lot of these uh, uh, score settling measures, like removing Ilhan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee, um, I, I haven't seen much uh, substantive uh, legislation that uh, they're proposing, and I think she would do well if she articulated that too. Charles, uh, what are you expecting we'll hear from Joe Biden? I think uh, uh, both the previous comments were were correct. I think Pat is is right that uh, Joe Biden has a, a good economic story to tell based on uh, the most recent reports. And he can point to inflation uh, coming down, though it's he will say rightly that it's still too high and we're we're working toward a soft landing and we've got programs for jobs. Uh, I think on foreign policy, he'll emphasize uh, the support we've given uh, Ukraine, that they're fighting a battle that's important for the West uh, on China. He'll. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think it's obvious what he'll he'll say. I actually don't uh, think that there should be a response from the other side because it all, all it's not only that it's almost always bad. It it's because it happens immediately, and yeah. um, it just sounds like um, you know that Mikey from the cereal commercial. He hates everything. It's just bound <laughs> yeah. to sound like that, exactly. and I just would. It's it, they would just, and nobody except political junkies watches the darn thing. <laughs> right. 
it's always it's always something that was written for that person days in advance that doesn't actually factor in what's going to be in the speech. So very briefly, I will say my hope for the State of the Union is always my hope is that it's the last State of the Union, <laughs> that it goes back to being a letter that is submitted to Congress. It was our worst president, Woodrow Wilson, who created this spectacle. <laughs> and uh, I always hope every year that it will be the last one. And that's where it will end. So apologies to Bruce for getting on my soapbox here at the end. I want to thank John Giacaris. Pat Whalen, Charles Lipson for joining us on the program this evening. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. We will see you next time. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid. knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov.